Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. So powerful. And today, where the world is living in fear and it will increasingly get worse over the weeks to come, fear not. So fear and anxiety and stress are all too very real at this moment in history, in this present pandemic. The question is for us, in this moment in history, how do we, the people of God, respond? How do we respond? When every news station will not let you forget, when every conversation will inevitably lead to a discussion about the pandemic, when every shopping trip reveals that the panic is real, what do you do? I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 34 this morning. Psalm 34, a word from God to us to have proper fear in a pandemic. Psalm 34, it's of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Verse 1, this is God's word, says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. Fear the Lord, but yet fear not. God is worthy of our praise especially because he's in control. We trust him with our life and our death, and we uh, have a life to live in difficult times when we live it in the fear of the Lord, in the light of his glory. Three things that we will see this morning are that, is God is worthy of our praise. It's the first thing. God is indeed worthy of our praise, especially because he's in control. This God is is a God who is in control over all things. Every molecule, every panic, everything, God is in control at all times. Verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless Him at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Not, Not just when seasons are good, not when things are not difficult, not when days are not dark. No, no, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It's amazing because you you read even there, not only just the continuation of God's worthiness of his praise, because here's the thing, is if things got out of hand, out of God's hand, if things got out of his control, he would not be worthy of praise at all times. He would be worthy of accusation. He would be worthy of disbelief. He'd be worthy of, of, of anything else but praise. But he is worthy of praise at all times and continually because he is in control and he is sovereign over all. That's why it says even in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Lift him up. 
Put him up on the highest pedestal you can find. Magnify God. Amplify his name. Show people how beautiful and how great God is continually at all times. When they're in a panic and things collapse down on them, bless him at all times. Praise him continually and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us say that he is worthy of praise today and tomorrow and the next day when hundreds of people are dying because of a pandemic. God is still worthy of praise. And God has not lost control. Here's what Psalm 135 verses 5 and 7 says. It says, For I know that the Lord is great. I know that he is great. That our Lord is above all gods. And that whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth in the seas and in all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from its storehouses. I know that the Lord is great. He is great. Do we know that? And that is evidenced and that has shown fruit in our life of either praise or cowering. Praise or panic. Do you know that the Lord is great? I love verse 6 of Psalm 135, which I just read. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Whatever pleases Him, He's going to do it. It's amazing. And He's the one who's above all things. It doesn't just leave it there like, oh, He's going to do all these nice and good things. All these things that are going to bring peace and comfort to people all the time. It talks about lightning and storms. God, if it pleases God, He's going to do it. He's going to allow it. He's going to cause it to be. Yet God, the Lord, is is great. We'll bless Him at all times and we shall praise Him continually because He is at work in all the little details. The Heidelberg Catechism talks about God's providence this way. It says, The almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds, as with His hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and He rules them, that leaf and the blade, the rain and the drought, fruitful and lean years, Food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The Lord is great, and he does all that he pleases. So he is worthy of our praise, especially because he is in control. He is in control over sickness, even. Deuteronomy 28.61, speaking of sickness as a judgment on these people, it says... Every sickness and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of the law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. These people who are under the judgment of God says, every sickness, every affliction, the Lord will bring upon you. From his fatherly hand, his loving and sovereign controlling hand, nothing was out of his control. Nothing. Not a single molecule, not a single sickness, not a single person or death was out of his control. So he's worthy of our praise and our, our, our awe. Sometimes we don't understand how God is operating or why he's allowing this to sweep through this area or these people to die. We don't know. So we're left in awe and wonder at God and his mystery about him. But we know that all he does, he pleases It pleases him in all that he does. And so he is great and greatly to be praised. He's sovereign and in control over sickness. So that's why verse 3 says, let's magnify him. 
Let's magnify him. Let's, let's lift him up. Let's exalt his name together. This is the God who, who gives and the God who takes away. But still, blessed be his name, says Job. He gives. He gives in abundance. And then he takes away. We deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. And God gives us so much in his common grace, in, in his grace to all people at all times, that we even have a breath. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of grace. And so he gives and he takes away. So we choose to magnify him, to exalt him. He is a God who is worthy of our praise, this psalm shows us. And because he's worthy of our praise, because this is the God who is in control, especially over all things, second thing is that we trust him with our life and with our death. We trust him. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord. And he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. We trust him with our life and our death. We we don't think that our death happens by accident. We don't think that something can befall us which God has not allowed. So we trust him. We place our whole selves into him and say, You, I am going to seek you, and I'm going to ask you to preserve my life, or I'm going to ask you to do one of these things. I'm going to seek you, though. I don't necessarily need to seek healing. I don't necessarily need to seek comfort or control in my own life or in my own nation. I need to seek you. Verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And what did he do? He delivered me from all of my fears. Not all of my troubles. Not all of my sicknesses. He delivered me from all of my fears. The thing that captures you in the midst of panic. The, the lack of trust. He says, I can deliver you from that. The way to be delivered from a fear, from a lack of trust in God, is by establishing a greater trust in God. As God shows himself to be beautiful and worthy of praise, as as others exalt God and magnify him and lift him up and show you, look how great my God is, I'm going to magnify that for you, then it's easier to trust him. To trust him, and then he's going to deliver you. As you magnify him, he's going to deliver you from your fears. The things that I'm worried about that are capturing my heart, that have captivated my thoughts and my nation, do not compare to the glory and the greatness of my God. So I seek Him. And as I seek Him, He's delivering them from my fears. I'm going to realize I don't need to trust in health or comfort or a security in this world. Economics doesn't matter in the end because my God is worthy of my trust. He is worthy of me just embracing him and and throwing myself fully on him. I sought him and he delivered me from all of my fears. All of my fears. Hold that in your mind because later we're going to see there is a different fear which is proper in a time of pandemic. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Saved, rescued. In this life and in the life to come, this life will bring troubles for sure. But the troubles in the life to come for those who do not trust in God are thousandfold, a hundred thousandfold to the troubles we face now. The, the panic and the fear and the worry that people face now and all that they are feeling in the sense of darkness in this world is nothing compared to what is to come for those who do not trust in Him. 
So that's why David, the, the writer of this, says, this poor man, like this humble man, this man who realizes that I have nothing to bring, that I'm not rich, I don't have anything to bring, I'm poor, and I'm going to cry out. I'm weak, I'm frail, I'm inadequate. I'm crying out. I can't do anything right now, God. And now, isn't it beautiful? Beautiful how God brings people to their knees. And that's often a place where we seek Him and for salvation that He would save us out of our troubles. In, in, a, in a position of inadequacy. A position where people feel the frailty of themselves and their world. Is that not what God is gifting to us in this very moment of pandemic? A place where people cry out and say, I'm inadequate. I can't do this. I can't keep myself from getting sick. I can try, but it might, might come anyways. Once I get it, what might happen? People are being crippled to their knees. And by God's grace, they might cry out to the Lord. And he would hear them and save them out of their troubles. Not necessarily deliver them from a disease, but deliver them from the fear that comes with it. And ultimately deliver them from the hell that comes in the end. It takes a humble spirit to cry out to the Lord. Now may God use this time we're in to do that. In us, even in our inadequacies, how can I help people? I feel so inadequate thinking about how can I help my community? who's in fear, who's shutting down, what can I do? I'm going to cry out to God in inadequacy and say, help, help me. That's where the Lord answers. We trust Him with our life. We trust Him with our death. Love verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Who needs refuge? Who needs refuge? A strong person? A person who is doing well? A person who is not in violence and turmoil and pestilence? Those people are fine. They don't need refuge. A person who needs refuge recognizes their circumstance. Recognizes that everything around them is crumbling. That violence is coming. That pain is coming. That trials are here. This person is the one who needs refuge. Where will they go? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. He is good. And you will be blessed, you will be satisfied when you take refuge in Him, when you come under His care and His, his, um, his friendship and His love. Take refuge in Him. We trust Him with our life and our life to come. When we realize when people have come to an understanding of what comes in the end, after life there's judgment, then what? When people come to a realization that they in their own sinfulness, in their own sense of security, have nothing. It's all flops when they look at the end. They say, well, I just hope. I I hope I've been good enough. I hope God forgets the bad things I've done. I I just hope in that stuff. I hope I've been a better person than those wicked people I know. They just hope in nothing. They hope in what fails them. When, When people realize that they are hopeless, they must Taste and see the Lord is good and take refuge in Him. We trust Him with our life and we trust Him in our death. God is trustworthy. He is good. He is a refuge to those who are in need. That's why Isaiah 26, 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Everlasting rock, it's a beautiful picture of you being up on a rock mountain and a storm's coming. Storm's coming. A violent, wicked storm. What do you do? But you hide yourself in a rock. You hide yourself in an area where you're just praying. The storm will pass by. 
He says, take refuge in God. Trust Him with your life, but also trust Him in, in your death. That we will all one day die. But do we fear that? Do we have a sense of trust and a sense of, uh, of uh, peace and blessedness knowing that there is a refuge in God? We know that when we know that He is good. We know that He is good when people exalt and magnify Him. When we learn to trust Him, when we seek Him, He delivers us from our fears. We take refuge in Him. We take refuge in Him. In our life, we live in seeking Him. In our death, we should be prepared. Every time I drive by a graveyard, I think, one day I'll be there. I'll be there. That'll be me. Am I ready? Like, am I really, truly prepared? Yes, I trust Jesus. Yes, I believe that he died and, and, and rose again for me, that my sin was dealt with that day on the cross. I believe that. But, but am I living that way? Do I really believe that? Do I believe that death is gain? Do you believe that death is gain? That in Christ, it is. It is a refuge eternally to be able to trust him with your life and with your death. This is the God who is good. This is the God who is in control. He's the one worthy of our praise, not just in this moment, not just when things are good, but for all times. We trust him with our life and our death. And third, we if we, have to li- if we are to have life at all in difficult times, we must live in fear. That's interesting. We must live in fear. If we're to have life at all, we must live in fear, but a proper fear. A fear of the Lord in the light of His glory. We live in the light of His glory. We boast in Him in this life. Look at verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. There is glad living in difficult times. We boast in the Lord and what He is, what He is able to do and what He has done for us. We boast in the Lord. Look what verse 7 says. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. They fear Him. The angel of the Lord is going to encamp around you. He's going to allow you to have this sense of refuge and comfort, this sense of deliverance from your fears, this sense of awe and wonder at the God who made you and is in control of all things. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, who, who tremble before him in an in a awe-inspired kind of way. It's the kind of fear that is not a slave to a brutal master, but the kind of fear of a child who has a father who has set some rules down and loves him. It's that kind of fear, a kind of reverence, respect. For when you know your father loves you, you don't want to disappoint your father. Your father has set rules in you for your good and for the good of your family and your society. So therefore, you fear him in a sense to obey him. We fear the Lord. We, we entrust ourselves to Him, trembling before Him, yes, knowing that if we are not found in God, if we are living a life of continual sin and unrepentance, we ought to fear Him with trembling. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God, the Word says. Fearful. Terrifying. As you read through the Bible, you see the judgment of God on display time and time and time again. He doesn't hold anything back. What he says he will do. 
And so when we read in the scriptures of the punishment due your sin and my sin, we ought to fear and tremble before that God. Fear and tremble. And then you see the ultimate height of his judgment on sin. It's not just in the Old Testament. You see it most beautifully and most uh, significantly at the cross. His judgment on sin is most magnified in the cross of Jesus. He hated sin so much. That's what happened. So that he could also at the same time show his love and his mercy and his compassion on those who've even sinned against him. The cross of Christ doesn't say God's not an angry God. The cross of Christ does not say God just forgets sin. No, the cross of Christ says God hates sin. Your sin, my sin. And he judges it in full on Christ for those who believe. We ought, to, we ought to fear what sin does to people. Do you know what sin does to you? Do you know what sin does to your neighbor who's living in it? Do you know what it does to you if you remain in it? Sin destroys. And so we ought to fear that. One of the most fearful passages for me in the scriptures is Matthew chapter 7. That's where those who come to Jesus in the end, they've died, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? We, like, we, we did all the things. We went to church. We, went to, we did service. You know, we went on missions trips. We said the sinner's prayer. We got baptized. Didn't we do all of these things in your name? Lord, Lord. He says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like, they were doing all these things, but yet in their heart was continual sin. They had not repented of it. They had not turned. They had not trusted in God. They had not cried out to God in their inadequacy. They kept trusting in themselves and all that they could do. And they get to the end. They knew his name. They knew what they should be looking like. They knew what the fruit of a Christian should be. And they said, this is us. And he said, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I don't know you. I don't know you. You were not found in me when I died on the cross. No, not for you. Unless you've been born again, so he told Nicodemus. Unless your life has been changed, that sin no longer has a grip on you, that you fear him enough to tremble when you think about sin. You fear God. Verse 8 carries on. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Experience God. Do you spend time with God? Do you read his word? Do you listen to him? Do you hear him? Do you know who God is to the best of your limited ability? Do you taste God? Do you see God? Do you see him at work in your own life? Do you evaluate how God has so sustained you through the trials in your life? How he has so blessed you in in the, the easy seasons of life? Taste and see that he is good. Know his goodness, experience his goodness, and live in that. Because there's going to come times where things seem dark. There's going to come times where you can't see two feet in front of your face. You're a sheep, don't you know? The Bible describes you as a sheep. Sheep do not have good vision. They can see about this far and no further. We have limited vision. Oftentimes, the enemy will come and surround us so that all we can see is dark. And we wonder, and we wonder, until you taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we'll be blessed. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
Joy-filled is the man. Happy is the man. Satisfied. Content is the man who takes refuge in God because this is the God you've tasted and seen. This is the God who you have trusted, you have sought after. This is the God whom you praise. I want to finish by looking at verse 5 specifically and more in depth. It says, Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Those who look to Him, this God who is worthy of praise, this God who we can trust with our life and our death, this God who causes us to truly live, look to Him. And those who do, says, are radiant. Do you ever read the story of Moses? Where he comes down from the mountain? He's got to wear a veil. He's got to wear like a curtain over his head because he's just shining. He's just shining because he's been with God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like, experience God. Be with God. Have a, have a relationship with God. Be so near to God. Taste Him. See Him. And then here, those who look to Him, those who do this are radiant. They, they radiate something. What is it? Their faces shall never be ashamed. Never, there's no shame in a person who trusts and looks to God. They're radiant. What does that mean? Matthew 5 gives us a great... We normally don't connect these two things, but I think they are connected. Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Radiant. And you are light. You're the light of the world, not in and of yourself. You're the light of the world because of the glory of Jesus. Like the moon reflects the sun, so is your face when you've been with Jesus. That's you. You are the light. You are to be the light. And what do we have in this present moment but darkness? Darkness. People's hearts are so captured by fear. So captured by worry. Panic. People don't know where to look. They should be able to look to the people of God who are radiant. Whose faces just radiate. It doesn't mean that we're not, we don't take precautions or we're not wise or not smart. But we radiate a, a true satisfaction, a blessedness, a joy, a contentment, a trust. We radiate that to the world who is crashing in on themselves because they're inadequate. We say, I am too. But I've looked to him. I've looked to Him. I've cried out to Him. I've trusted in Him. Therefore, I radiate that to the world. You are the light of the world. And the reason that you're to be the light and to show that in doing good works, in Matthew it says, is so that they may see those things and give glory to God. They would give glory to God. That's the whole point of our lives. That's what we were created for originally. We were made in the image of God to reflect Him as He should be. We broke that. We, we tarnished that with our own sinfulness. We're robed in Christ's righteousness. We trust that, standing before God, and we look to Him, and we look to Him again. Those who see Him, those who taste Him, those who look to Him are radiant, it says. And we shall never be ashamed of that. We, shall, we will not be ashamed because There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 says. We're not condemned. We're not condemned. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yes, we sin, but we can openly be the only people who admit it without shame. 
Say, I've sinned. I'm a failure. I don't need to make a name for myself. I don't need to be lifted up. I don't need to be something special. I don't need to be well thought of by you because I'm squeaky clean. I'm going to admit that I'm a failure. But I'm a failure who has a Savior who rescues me day in and day out, whose mercies are new every morning, whose grace is sufficient for me. This is the God whom I worship. This is the God in in this time of difficulty, in this trial. At all times, I will praise Him. And I've looked to Him, and I will radiate that truth. I will be looking to Him and praising Him continually. I'll make my boast in the Lord. I will magnify the Lord, and I'll invite you to do it with me. Because he has delivered me from all of my fears as I fear him. This is the God whom we are to trust in these trying days. In these days where people, even your, the news will cause you to be as fearful as anything. But even in those moments and even in reality, in the face of reality of death and pandemic, you can still look to God, still trust him and radiate that hope. Radiate a hope that is not just for this moment. It's not just for when things get better. A hope that is eternal, that lasts forever, because we look to him and are never ashamed that he is our deliverer. Verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. You won't lack anything. That's what the world's panicking about, right? That's why everyone's buying 25 packages of toilet paper. They think they're going to lack. Like, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have. From material things, to health, to anything. They have a great lack. They see it. But it says, verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. Those who fear Him, you don't lack anything. You don't lack anything. Because you, you're able to properly assess yourself, your situation, and this life and death. Because you fear Him. You fear. You, you, you believe what He says. You tremble before his word. You fear him and you believe that his word says things will get worse. You believe that. And you also believe that his, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Even if the trial doesn't leave you, my grace is enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? And there in your fear of the Lord, as you're trusting the Lord, you will have no lack. You won't lack what you need. God will give you all that you need. Even if it means death. You have no lack. To live is Christ. To die is gain. There is a proper fear in pandemic, and that is the fear of the Lord, the trust of the Lord, the looking to Him and praising Him, the looking to Him in in trust for deliverance from our fears and the living in Him so that we might have joy and contentment day in and day out, no matter what changes around us. We look to the Lord, we live in the light of His glory, and we radiate that to others for the sake of His glory. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing God. You're a God worthy of all of our praise for all time. You're a God who's in control. Nothing is outside of your knowledge. Nothing is outside of your hands. You have everything on a leash. So we want to praise you for that. We also, God, confess that our hearts don't praise you as we should continually. We confess that we often look inward and look horizontally. God, we even confess maybe uh, at this time of a sense of fear about what will happen in this world and what might happen to us. We just ask that you would help us to be delivered from that fear. We look to you, we cry to you even in this moment. Deliver us from fear in this day or in the days to come. Help us to 
trust you. Just to trust you with all things, that we might taste and see that you are good at all times. And as we experience your goodness, and as we bear fruit of that goodness in our own lives, as we care for one another and we care for our community, would you let yourself be glorified through us? Let us radiate. Let us shine. Let us not put ourselves, let us not hide ourselves away. But in wisdom, let us put ourselves out there so all might see that we are content in Christ. God, we pray for those who do not yet know you in this world, that in this moment you would bring them to their knees. You would cause them to collapse. You would cause them to be in agony over their sin and what it has done against you. God, would you open hearts and minds, not just because they want a get-out-of-jail-free card and a safety card, but because they've sinned against you and they've offended you, would you deliver people in that sort of way, a lasting sort of way? We pray this for your honor. And we just ask that you, even in our own hearts, would be magnified, exalted, lifted up as we trust in you, in your sovereign plan, as we trust in you in our life and in our death, and as we live in our fear of you. We just ask for your help in these days. In Christ's name, amen.